Christmas. We are going to be singing some Christmas carols this morning, but before we do, why don't you stand up, take a moment, and find someone nearby that you can hug their neck, say hello to.
Well, good morning, everybody. You can be louder than that. It's the holiday season. There, there it is. You know, I, I just asked Alicia Bonin. I forgot what in excelsis Deo is. I think it means, I hope we all get good Christmas gifts. It's Latin. What does that mean? Does anybody remember? Glory to God. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so glory to God. We should probably know our Latin before we sing it to make sure we're not singing Disney World is having a special on the day after Christmas or something. But glory to God. It's, I hope that you are feeling festive. Uh, it is that time of the year. And, uh, you know, I, I love this time of year. I love walking into stores and having Christmas music playing. And I, I love uh, all of the emphasis on the birth of our Lord. I know there's lots of other noise going on, but don't let the Christian grumpies ruin your joy. We got it. You know, we, this is our season. This is the season that begins the process of our adoption into the family of God. And we have so much to be thankful for. And uh, so I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, and in Excelsis Deo, glory to God. That, that, uh, that is truly, truly something to celebrate, obviously. Well, we're excited this morning because a few weeks ago, this young man, Levi, went to his mother and started sharing with her that he wanted to be baptized. Uh, having having a personal relationship with the Lord, he wanted you to know, he wanted to make a statement that his life belongs to the Lord. And now, uh, for those of you who are visiting with us or watching online, uh, I want to I just make it clear what this is and what it is not. Uh, this is not the moment of salvation. Uh, he, uh, Levi has accepted Christ's offer of, uh, when he died on the cross to forgive his sin as his Christmas gift, as a gift, to, as eternal life. And so having done that, we're instructed as part of our growth process in our relationship with the Lord to be baptized, to make a public statement of that profession of faith. So that's what we're doing. If you are kind of confused on that because you grew up in a different maybe faith tradition, uh, remember Jesus was baptized and he didn't need to be saved. He was making a statement. My life, the next three years of my life now belongs to my father. I'm going to serve him. So that's what this is. And uh, we are very proud. We do not have an indoctrinational program with our children going, you need to be baptized. We actually, when a, when a young man Man or young woman wants to be baptized, they usually talk to their parents and say, I'd like this. And then we have them meet with Alicia, who uh, is the shepherd overseeing our children's ministry. And she sits alone with them to make sure that they understand what this is and what this isn't. And after going through that process, we ask, you pick a date and we'll, uh, we're glad to be a part of it. So that's what you're about to see. We are about to see a young man make a statement that his life belongs to the Lord. So uh, I, with that, I'm going to turn it over to his grandfather, Don, who is uh, going to lead us. Levi's mom is going to pray for him.
Thank you. Satan has a way of keeping us from the words that we've prepared. Here, you go ahead and find it. Let me talk to you for a second. One of the cool things that I love doing at Carpenter's Way is allowing uh, a father or a grandfather, a discipler, baptize uh, the child. So that's also what you just thought you find it. Yeah. All right, we're ready. Okay. Heavenly Father, you are here. You are an awesome God who has filled our lives with so many blessings. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to be loved by you, and to be adopted into your family through the sacrifice of your Son, Christ Jesus, our Savior. Abba, thank you for allowing me to be Levi's mom. Thank you for our faithful family and our church family who have walked beside Levi, growing his faith every step along the way. Please continue to speak to our hearts and to grow our faith in you. In your name, amen. How old, is, how old are you, Levi? How old are you? Ten? The teenage years are coming, buddy. You'll be driving in five years. You know, uh, the reason I ask Levi that is because I want to remind you that when a person is baptized or gets saved or gives their life to Christ, it doesn't mean perfection hits. That's not what this is about. You all know, because most of you have been teenagers at one point or another, if you remember those years, but uh, he's going to go through some difficult times, and there's going to be times Kelly's going to want to kill him, and Don's going to get right, have her back on that. Our job, though, as a church, one of the mistakes I think the church often does is we get critical, don't we? And we go, my kids weren't like that, and they were. You just don't remember. The truth is we need to pray for each other. We need to lift each other up and pray for this young man because now there's a target on his back. Even at 10 years of age, the adversary is going to want to distract and, and, and we need to pray for each other, you guys. We, we need to please pray for each other. Pray for Kelly. Pray for, for uh, Don and Linda. Just, just, just pray. Um, having said that, every Sunday in the worship guide, we put a prayer guide because some of us are sick. Some of us are going through difficult times and it's in there. Please pray for each other. Just put it in your car and as you're driving, um, let me say that again. Read, read it. I'm just going to stop and say pray for each other. Uh, Dolores does a wonderful job of keeping that uh, prayer guide updated and, and all. So uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, I, I want to take a second and thank you for coming. Um, whether it's because of the baptism, the family, or, or you're just checking Carpenter's Way out, or you just drove by and, and thought that we sold hammers and screwdrivers because it says a carpenter on the side. We're just glad you're accidentally here. And uh, watching on the internet, we are glad you're joining with us. It is our prayer, though. As much as we want to be liked, it's our prayer that you fall in love with Jesus. Um, that, that really is our prayer. And, and thanks for joining with us, especially this season. Uh, this morning, we are in, um, we took a break from a, from a very long series that I am on, on who is Jesus from the scriptures, and to take a couple weeks to talk about Advent. What is Advent? And this is our second week. And next Sunday is very special because every year, the Sunday right before Christmas, we do what's called Family Christmas, and uh, we have, it's a one-hour service. We, all of the kids, even the infants are in the room, and there's music and different things, and this year, Chad and Jeff are going to lead our service, and it's going to be awesome. So bring your family, bring your friends, anyone, bring your relatives who don't go to church, especially people who don't go to church, because they can celebrate our, the birth of our Savior with us. Uh, and that'll be next Sunday at 9.30 to 10.30, and we encourage you to do that. Having said that, uh, about half of you last Sunday 
sent pictures in. Uh, we need pictures of your family, maybe a Christmas picture. It can be ridiculous or serious. It can be old or new. But even during the service this morning, I need you to take your phone out, find that picture, and would you send it to Jeff at, at uh, Jeff at CWBC.org. Today's the last day you could submit a picture. But part of the service, it's going to be on stories, and I'm not going to give the, the, the theme away. But we, want, we, we need pictures of our family uh, for next Sunday morning. We're going to do a slideshow and different things. But if you wouldn't mind doing that before you forget it, go ahead and do it right now after you're write your offering check. So, um, that was, that's funny there. Um, but I, I, so uh, that is next Sunday. And then Christmas Eve, which is on December 24th again this year. It's Christmas Eve. I, I'm asked that every week. So that joke never gets old. So Christmas Eve, we're having a candlelight service. And, and for those of you who haven't been to a candlelight service at Carpenter's Way, Christmas Eve, <clears throat> it's 30 minutes long. I think it's more like 25 minutes. And the reason is all we do is sing and have scripture. Um, uh, and the reason we do that is because a lot of you will be having family in town or uh, have you, you do your Christmas with part of your family on Christmas Eve. And we want to make it possible that you take a little break maybe between lunch or dinner and dessert or before dinner and you come here and it's, it's a wonderful time. And uh, Steve will set this stage aflame with candles and we'll see. <laughs> it's one of those things that I'm going to get texts about, isn't it? Please do not light the, screen, the stage on fire, Steve. But but uh, this will be all lit up, and we're going to sing, and it's going to be it's going to be the manger scene all over this room and celebrating the birth of our Lord. And then you're going to go home, and you're going to have Christmas with your people, and and uh, we just want to be a part of that with you. So uh, that's our that's our Christmas stuff going on, and and we'd love to have you be a part again. That information is in the worship guide. I do want to mention that with the the way that the holiday starts falling, not this week. It's a normal scheduled week. Uh, no Wednesday night. Uh, this uh, this Wednesday morning, but the way this the holidays fall, the Christmas week and uh, New Year's is the office hours are going to get really weird starting next Monday. So if you need a pastoral staff member, just so you know, you can call the office and there's a phone tree. It'll direct you to whatever pastor or person you want, and it'll actually send us an email that you've called. So if you need us, you can email us or you can find us on Facebook. Uh, my my email is jeff at cwbc.org. Feel free to contact as much as you want and as late as you want. <laughs> uh, he's not even in the room, so it wasn't nearly as fun as it would have otherwise been. So anyway, but seriously, our information is in the worship guide. And, and if you need us, uh, I'll even send you, you can email me. I'll send you my cell phone number. I just don't want to give it out because my brother no longer has it. And he texts me while I preach. So beyond that, I'd be glad to give it to you. Okay, I think that's all the announcements we have. Be involved encourage each other, pray for each other. You know, the holidays are difficult for some of us because we lost family members or, or people that we love or it's lonely. So look around. Who can you reach out to? Um, I'm, I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time. And uh, we will pre prepare for our offering. Um, as we end the year, uh, as is often the case, we want to make up uh, start our year strong next year. And uh, uh, we have fallen behind a little bit this year. So if you're able to give a normal and then a little extra, we appreciate that. If you're not, that's okay. We're just glad you're here. And if you're visiting, please don't give. This is, this is a commitment we make as a family. Um, let's, uh, let's ask the Lord to bless our time. Father, as we, as we turn our eyes now um, to you completely for the next 45 minutes or so, it is my prayer, Lord, that you speak to us. Uh, Lord, it is, it is through the foolishness of preaching that you often you talk to us. And yet, Lord, it's the word that doesn't return void. So I ask you now, for your word, God, whether it's, the, it's your word through the songs, it's, it's your word through the scripture that I'm going to read this morning, 
Father, may, may the words of the authors and the writers and the preacher go away so that the words of God will endure forever. And, and Lord, I pray that every person in this room, every person watching on internet would be drawn to know you, would be blown away by how much you love them. And I just pray that the rest of our time would be very, very precious. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. with us. The first Noel, the angel did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay, in fields where they lay, keeping their sheep on a
took his wife and her child and they went to Africa to escape the rage of a deadly king there along the banks of the Nile Jesus listened to the song that the captive children
think this is not even the beat. We're dismissing the kids at uh, this time for their programming. They have a, a happy birthday Jesus party during the second hour. And uh, man, did the Jews believe that? There's some lines in this song, and I played it last week. Somebody like, is he going to preach last week's message all over? Not, not exactly. Uh, but, uh, you know, um, there's a line in that song that says, I will never doubt his promises, though I doubt my heart, I doubt my eyes. That's not how the Jews felt. They were absolutely, and that was what last week's message was about. Before Jesus was born, before God's anointed one, we used the word Messiah, was on the scene. They were absolutely convinced that God was going to send a deliverer of sorts. They prayed for it. They begged him to. And this wasn't the first time in their history. They had had reason to believe he would. Because when they prayed for deliverance from Egyptian slavery, God sent him Moses. And in the same way, they're in bondage to Roman and Gentile leadership. And they're praying for a deliverer. And the prophets in the Old Testament all said that God would send a deliverer who would sit on the throne of David. They were so convinced, not just the Hebrew people, but the disciples themselves. They were so convinced that Jesus was going to, that God was going to do it, send a deliverer, that this happened. It recorded for us in Acts chapter 1, verse 3 through 12. And this is where I ended last week. During the 40 days after Jesus suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to, uh, to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Take a breath. That's what it says. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. That's important in a moment. Verse 4, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking. Luke wants you to understand what's going on here, the mojo of the moment. Jesus talked to them about the kingdom of God, and they kept asking him because this was their passion. Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel, to restore our kingdom? Jesus was talking to them about the kingdom of God. They were asking him about their kingdom. Very important that you understand that because well, they're talking about the same thing, but two different things. He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the world. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. And they could no longer see them, see him. As they strained to see him rising to the heavens, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they say, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But someday, look at this, he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. That's the second advent. That's advent number two. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of a half mile. After spending nearly three years with Christ, watching him do amazing miracles, after listening to him teach, after watching him die and rise from the dead, and then spending another 40 days with him where he proves to them that he's human, that he's not just a spirit, these disciples still think that everything Jesus has done is so that he can rebuild uh, the Hebrew nation into what it was when David or Solomon was there. 
That was what they were convinced of. As we looked together last week, the Old Testament Hebrew prophets clearly talked of a restored, literal, restored Hebrew kingdom with God's anointed one or Messiah on David's throne. However, while Jesus was with them, he clearly told them that this time he came to serve and not be served. In other words, he didn't come to be presented as a king this time. He didn't come to sit on the throne. This time he came to serve others. That coming in Advent, this one, this first one, he came born of a virgin in a manger. It was a humble thing. You saw John get up a minute ago because he came over and he bet me $25 and we're not a good Baptist church, so I took the bet that I couldn't tell him what that hymn, that, that Christmas song, Mean Estate, means. Well, he was laid in a manger. That's not a good estate. That's a mean estate. I now have $25 to either take my family to dinner or to put in the mission offering. You can decide what kind of guy I am. But the truth is that, that Jesus came humbly. Why would God be born in a manger? That was a question lots of people have. That's a fair question. And the answer is because this time the king came to serve, not to serve. To serve, not be served. This Advent, at the end of his three and a half year ministry, Jesus will enter into Jerusalem on a colt, not on a white horse. A colt was a sign when a king would enter the, the, the capital of a kingdom during this period of history. On a colt, it meant peace was breaking out. That he came to bring peace. If he came in on a white horse, it means bad things are about to happen. We're at war. Am I the only one in the room thinking about the second advent at all? This, this, the first advent was all about him serving. But to the disciples who studied the scriptures who had been taught the scriptures from childhood, they're confident in how they understood things that while having been told uh, by Jesus that after he left them, they were to go to Jerusalem, they're so convinced that he's coming back immediately to set up this kingdom, to sit on the throne of David, to, to cause the Hebrew nation to rule the world, they stand there staring. Why are they staring? Because as he floated up, they expected him to float back down. They were convinced that the time had come for God to establish his throne, to solve all of their problems. To be clear, on Jesus' first coming, he came to pay the sin debt for all so that we, along with Levi, could be adopted into the family of God. Levi was baptized. What he wrote was very theological, right on. Having accepted Christ's offer, Levi is the adopted child of God now. And so are we. We could be adopted into God's uh, family, which, by the way, was his plan, according to Ephesians 1.3. His plan was not to keep us out of hell. That's just a byproduct of his plan. His plan was to bring us into his family. And when you die, you go to be with your dad, who went to prepare a place for you in heaven. So, also to be clear, though, it's mucky. I have no, somebody asked me this this week, and I, I, from my perspective, I don't think that there was any way that the disciples of the Hebrews could have understood that this time Jesus hadn't come to sit on the throne of David. He had promised that, and I believe it's literal, just not yet. And, and I want to be clear, my, my, my argument, my, my, my concern the thing that I'm laying out here is not that they didn't study enough. The more you study the prophets, the more you're convinced that God is going to send a redeemer to sit on the throne of David. What we don't know is his time. 
What we don't know is what happens between the time we understand that and the time he comes. And they didn't understand that. They didn't even listen to Jesus when he said, not now. Why? Because it's what they longed for. It's what they wanted. It was their dream. Jesus, or God's Messiah, sitting on the throne of David, represented justice, stability, nationalistic pride. It, it, it represented safety for them, for their kids and their grandkids. Health, everything God promised them under the old covenant is fulfilled when Jesus takes the throne. The problem is that's not his plan at that time. It will happen, just not yet. I want to show you something. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples the night uh, he was arrested in the upper room. John 13, verse 31, and I'll read through this. And, and I, I heard from a couple people that uh, uh, I read too fast when I read Scripture. That's because last week I wanted to overwhelm you with Scripture. And because I'm a Californian, I left when I was 17. Please leave the moral questions aside. But I, I'll read it a little slower. This is what the conversation was with Jesus and his disciples the night he's arrested. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. Verse 32. And since God receives glory because of his Son, he will give his own glory to the Son, and he will do so at once. Dear children, I will, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you'll search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. Why can't I come with you, Lord? Peter has, just has no glandular controls. <laughs> Why not? He said, uh, why can't I come with you, he asked. I'm ready to die for you. <laughs> okay, you guys know the context of this, right? A few hours later, he's denying Christ, so he wouldn't die. But he was ready at this moment to die for him. Verse 38, Jesus answered, die for me. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this weren't so, I, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. This was the conversation of the night of his arrest, and yet the disciples still are obsessed with his kingdom. When are you going to do it? Is it today? They just couldn't wrap their minds around what Jesus was teaching. His leaving them, his leaving us physically for a while shouldn't have been a shock. He was clear. They simply couldn't reconcile, though, what Jesus was teaching with what their expectations were, what they were sure the prophets taught with Jesus leaving without a healed nation. To be clear, they based their understanding upon Scripture. I'm making some points that are going to come into play a little later, so bear with me. The disciples' understanding of what they expected to happen was clearly based upon scriptural understanding. Only a human understanding of it. An angled understanding. An understanding that always asks, what do I get out of it? How do I get protected? How am I safe? How am I comfortable? What can you do for my kids and my grandkids? All the questions that we asked. And I want to be clear that just like 
The solution to their real problem was not at this time, and I'm going to explain that later, a strong Hebrew nation. Donald Trump is not your savior, nor is any of the 422 Democrats running for president. The government will never solve our problem, a strong America. Only Jesus will. And we put our hope, just like these guys, in lots of earthly things, in our earthly ride, in our earthly experience, when God continually was talking about another kingdom, another peace, an eternal peace. But you got to trust me because I haven't told you the whole story. Once Jesus proved himself to be God, sent one to the disciples. Once they were convinced he was the one that they had prayed for, they should have said, this doesn't match my understanding. I'm going to put my understanding aside and trust you. And that's what they didn't do. I want to remind you that Solomon, whom they studied daily as a Hebrew people, warned them not to trust in their own understanding, but in all their ways acknowledge him. He warned them, but they just couldn't get there. And in our defense, we do the same thing. And why not? Verses like James 1, 16 and 17 says, Don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from the God our Father who created all the lights in heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Or Luke 11, 10 to 13, For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks the door will be opened. You fathers, if you ask your children, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if, you ask, if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? When you read these verses, it makes complete logical sense that if you're not careful to take the whole counsel of God and place trust in him, knowing that he's the Savior, knowing that he's Lord, you're going to end up thinking that God has right now promised you all this amazing stuff and you should receive it today. These scriptural promises, along with the scriptural promises that the Jews expected of their deliverer, are true. Last week, as, as we were wrapping up, I talked, the, I talked about this, this thing that Annie and Julie has been talking about. Some of you are familiar with this phrase. I guess it's in, in some writings. But the idea of the already but not yet. You know, Ephesians 1.3 says this. Let me show you this. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, this is past tense, who has and present tense, by the way, in the Greek, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. There are lots of people telling you today that because you have been blessed with all spiritual blessings, you should simply claim your wealth. You should simply claim your health. You should simply claim it. That's exactly what the disciples were doing. The disciples by Jesus were being told regularly that right now is not the time. Trust me, I'm going to leave. I have to go away. In fact, I'm going to go away and you're going to need to go to Jerusalem and just be patient in the city because when you're in the city, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to help you. In fact, he's going to be more powerful in your life than even I am. But what do they do when he ascends into heaven while asking him is now the time for the kingdom? They stay there. They don't really obey because they don't really believe. In defense of the disciples, some of Jesus' teaching gets foggy. But he was clear on this. Go to Jerusalem and wait. They are so stuck there 
that God has to send two angels down to tell them to get on to Jerusalem like he told them. Go to Jerusalem and wait. He doesn't even tell them to do anything. And what is often called the Great Commission is, is spoken there. You're going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. The last two, by the way, being Gentile communities. He's not commanding them to. He's telling them what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He had taught them this on multiple occasions. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to end up ministering in Jerusalem. Then you're going to run for your lives because you're going to get persecuted into Judea. And then you're going to realize that the Jews are chasing you into Judea. And so you're going to have to run to the one place they would go, Samaria. And while you're in Samaria, I'm going to raise up another guy by the name of Paul who is actually going to traverse the world and present the gospel to Gentile people. That's the whole story. And in the meantime, they're still going, now? Because what they wanted is what they wanted. And it's just like us, you guys. I get it. I, I'm really not on their case. I'm defending them. But this is the struggle that we have. This is why we don't have our peace and the hope that we talk about. This is why in a season of hope, we... A lot of us, there's, there's nothing wrong with this. I'm just making observations. But there's a lot of us who go back every Christmas season in December, and we want to feel the anxiety and the excitement that the Jews must have felt at the advent of their deliverer. But the thing is, what I want to tell you this morning and the time I have remaining is, your advent of your deliverer is coming, and we don't have to look back. We can look forward. Because everything you could ever possibly want is on its way. You already have it. You already have all spiritual blessings in Christ. You are heirs to the throne. You will share the throne with God. You will be wealthy beyond your wildest imagination. You will have health in ways, and I'm going to get there, but I want you to know where I'm going. You will have health. You will have peace. You will never, ever be persecuted again. You will not have the struggles you have in this life. Your body will never ache because you're 53. You have it. Just not yet. It's yours. Like a kid who's 10, who's inherited a billion dollars and can't touch it till they're 18. This is how it works. But I don't want it to be that way. Nobody wants it to be that way. Well, I'm going to show you why you do this morning. We already have all of God's promised blessings because we are united with Christ, because we're saved, because we're his children. But in the heavenly realms, Ephesians 1.3 says. This isn't the first time that Jesus, actually this was talked about either. Jesus taught this. You're familiar with this passage in Matthew chapter 6 as I read it slowly. Don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moths eat and, and rust destroys them and thieves break and steal. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. Verse 21, wherever your treasure is, there are the desires your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other, and you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. Now you know what we all struggle with. And by the way, you remember the context of this? The disciples are telling Jesus that they don't have anything to buy food with. And the disciples are concerned they don't have anywhere to sleep. And this is Jesus' response to them. Verse 25. 
That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to drink or, or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly body. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Could all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for, your, for, uh, for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he, certainly, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? We all know that's kind of where it comes from. So don't worry about these things. Saying, what are we going to eat? What will we drink? What are we going to wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Rather than that, seek the kingdom of God above all else. You know, you need to buy clothes. You need to eat. He's not saying you don't pay attention to those things, but above all else, you seek the kingdom of God and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. That's their task. That's what he wanted the disciples to, 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 to do. I think you can make the case, though, and maybe you'll push back on this, but I think you can make the case they never accomplished that. They never really got there. Why do I think that? They didn't abandon Jesus. They believed he was the Lord. They believed he could be trusted in. They just believed their interpretation of the Old Testament. They just believed that they were right. They were so sure that they were right that they stand there looking up into heaven when they should have been heading on to Jerusalem awaiting the Holy Spirit. You see, in this text, Jesus understood the disciples our major concerns in life, basic felt needs and wants, food, a place to say, money, clothes, what health. And they read scriptures in light of those needs. We read scripture. We understand God in light of those needs. And what they thought would solve all of their needs was, was a dominant, strong Hebrew nation, a strong Hebrew kingdom that seemed to solve all of their wants. What Jesus taught was for them to seek his kingdom, his plan. Please understand that, again, in our mind when we think of a kingdom, we think of Jesus sitting on the throne, and that's true. But I want you to understand that Jesus' kingdom means trusting him for everything. He gets to rule. He gets to make decisions. If you recall Romans 10, 9, and 10 that tells you how to be saved, if you confess it with your mouth, Jesus as Lord. Uh, that isn't just an English word. It isn't just an ancient word. It means ruler of all. It means bowing the knee. It means saying, I trust you over my heart. What was the song? Though I, tr I trust your promises, though I don't trust my heart, my feelings. That's the most difficult thing we do is to actually believe that Jesus can be trusted with our, our physical stuff. <clears throat> to make it clear, if Jesus had answered the disciples' prayer, we would be spiritually toast. You, you understand that. And I mean literally like burnt toast. You understand that, right? Because, and there's probably more, but when they get to Jerusalem, does anybody remember how many go to the upper room and worship as a church before the church's birth, but in the upper room when the Holy Spirit comes upon them? Anybody remember how many there were? How many? 120. That's how many people with the disciples 
do what Jesus said. I'm not saying there weren't other people around the globe who are worshipers. I'm simply saying that at this moment in time, you have 120. Despite the miracles, despite rising from the dead, despite hundreds, if not thousands, seeing him after the resurrection, there's only 120 in the upper room. And, and that is a significant statement. If I'm a follower of God and I'm still believing in him, and I've seen the resurrection and I've seen the ascension, I'm in that upper room. I'm part of that crowd. I want to be in that group. Now, I don't know that it wasn't an invite-only event. I don't know that. But it seems to me that this would, if you read what they were doing, they were worshiping. And there's only 120 of them. That's how many seem to be left. That's incredible. Because there were many more that claimed that they knew Jesus was the Messiah. It just didn't work out the way they had anticipated. But as they prayed for Jesus to come and sit on the throne... Again, I want to make it clear. If he answers that prayer, there's no Judea or Samaria. There's no uttermost parts of the world. And I want to remind you that you are saved this morning in East Texas as the result of that missionary adventure. Because those apostles and Paul would travel the globe and the gospel would spread to Africa, to Asia, to the European nation area, to all those places, Rome, because of their faithfulness, you and I on the ends of the earth are saved this morning. If God had answered their prayer, and I am sure that some of those 120 are going, what next? I don't know. He just told us to stay here, and then he sent two angels. I guess somebody's going to come and be more powerful. Is it going to be Jesus? Probably. It'll probably be Jesus. He'll come back after a few weeks and sit on the throne. He's doing work. We'll, we'll trust him. But he sends the Holy Spirit. We're going to go to Acts when we're done with this extra long study on the life of Jesus because I want you to see how God's plan unfolds that results in our salvation today. Again, if he answered their prayer of their felt wants, real ones, not even wealth, just enough food, places to sleep, clothes to wear, normal stuff, we're not saved today. We might not even be here. Thank God for unanswered prayer. Right? Buckle your seatbelts, here we go. With that in mind, I want you to look at what Paul wrote to us in Romans chapter 8, 15 to 25. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba or Daddy, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirits to affirm that we're God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of the glory of God. But if we are to share in his glory... Sorry, that part's not read very often. It's not even preached very often. You see, the disciples, because God did not answer their felt need prayers at that time, the problem with not getting what they wanted immediately was that all of them were martyred but one. That's the problem. The benefit is you and I are saved today. Verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for a future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Verse 23. And we believers also groan, 
Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. And all God's 50-year-old and older said, Amen. Amen. That thank you felt this morning when you crawled out of bed is the result of sin. It's the result of the fall. It's exactly what God promised Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We too wait eagerly for the hope, for e with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. You think they're hurting? We are given this hope when we were saved. Already, just not yet. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. I want you to think about that one thing you want from God right now in your life. What, what are you praying for? And there's nothing wrong with praying for it. Remember, Jesus in the night he's betrayed prays for something there is no way that the Father's going to give him. Don't let me die on the cross for these people. I, I don't know what all is the reason he prayed that prayer. I personally think he's looking over at Peter and, and James and John who are asleep, who can't even stay awake, and he's going, I'm dying for them. These guys, that guy a few minutes ago said he'd die for me. He can't even stay awake for me. I think he's going, this is going to be painful. I think he's going, I'm going to wear, wear all the sin, all of those things. And his prayer is, Father, take this cup of suffering for me. But not my will, yours be done. I am not saying don't pray for help. I'm not saying don't pray for money. I'm not saying don't pray for a better pastor. Don't, don't pray for that one. I'm not saying don't pray for those things. I'm simply saying pray like Jesus prayed. But I get it. If I'm going to share in your glory, I'm also going to share in your suffering. So, Lord, as much as I want this healing... I will trust you in the pain. What is it you want from God right now? Health? Money? No more sadness? Loneliness? No more loneliness? A husband? A wife? Children? Your mom back? Your dad back that passed? What is it you long for? As God's child... I want to remind you this morning of what's been promised that you already have, just not yet. Revelation 21, verse 3. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. This is in the future. God's home is now among his people. No more loneliness. Some of you who are married are still lonely and being married. Julie feels that sometimes. I, I mean, seriously, as much as you think I'm a perfect husband, I'm not 100 percenter. I'm like 98, but not 100. <laughs> Even in crowds, you walk, you go, you sit in a store waiting to buy a gift for somebody, and in the midst of that crowd, you feel loneliness. As a mom with a young child that's demon-possessed, sometimes you just feel alone, and your husband doesn't help, or, or maybe you're a single dad, and you just long for a partner. Soon, soon, God will be among you physically. He will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. No more loneliness. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more sadness. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone for the next few years. Forever. 
Julie's been talking with me about this for about six or seven months. She did a study this summer on looking forward to eternity or something like that. And one of the things that she struck me with is everything that Mark Wilkie wants has already been promised, only just not now. I, I, want, I want a body that doesn't hurt in the morning. I, I, don't, want, I don't want scoliosis in a C shape. I, I don't want uh, heart issues. I don't want to have to take high blood pressure medicine. I want a church that always gives over and above what we need. I want to be told every Sunday what a great message it is, marketcwc.org. I want to hear all those things. I want to be praised. I want to be revered. I want to be that guy. I, whatever it is, all those things are promised. You're like, well, God's not going to make you that guy except that he's going to seat me on the throne next to him and everybody, the people are going to say I'm a king. I mean, I get a special name between him and I. You don't think he's going to make it awesome? Well, heaven isn't about us. Are you sure? It says I go to prepare a place for you. Oh, no, 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 that's too selfish, is it? Maybe we're so precious to our father who adopted us, he can hardly wait to get us home or we never have to go find a job again. I mean, at one point or another, when your kid calls, and I know this because I've got adult kids now, when your kid calls with some sort of heartache over a job or money or whatever, you kind of wish, I just wish I had a billion dollars, I'd buy us a ranch and we'd all live on it, and then we'd go, yeah, but we'd all live on it. But for a moment in time, for a moment in time, you actually think that if you had enough money, it would be a solution to a problem. Well, I'm here to tell you, you know that money isn't the solution to human problems, but I'm telling you, God is the solution to every human problem. And for a child of God, you don't have to want for it. You've got it. You just have to wait for it. <gasps> Somebody put that on Facebook. That's good. I just made that up. Thank you, Lord. I'm not going to say it again because I'm kidding. But the, the truth is, you've got it. You just got to wait for it. Well, I don't want to wait for it. That isn't up to you. That's the Jews going this. That's them looking up into heaven. So God sends angels and goes, go on to work. I don't want to go on to work. You got to go on to work. In fact... When we get to Acts, I'll make, the, I'll make the case. But I believe that the disciples are so in in their comfort. They're so overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit's presence. They're having such a good time together that the only way to get them from Jerusalem to Judea was by persecution. Go back and read Acts. I dare you, because that's how they ended up in Judea. Somebody didn't wake up one day and go, okay, Jerusalem's done. Let's head to the next town. He said Judea. That's not what happened. They started getting persecuted. So they ran for their life in the middle of the night, all the Christians. And you know what happened in Judea? The Jewish persecutors followed them there because it was a Jewish community. So it didn't work. So you know how they ended up in Samaria? Because they went to the one place that they knew the Jews would not go, where the dogs lived. And not just any Gentile. We're talking about the Samaritans, the half-breeds that even they themselves hated. That's how they ended up in Samaria, because they were running for their lives. But while they were there, God used them to spread the word. That's how he works. If you're sick and you go to the hospital, it may be a doctor you're supposed to witness to, or a nurse, or somebody sitting next to you, or maybe the Lucifer himself as you trust God in your pain. You see, okay, all right, I'm not done. 2 Peter 3, he's talking about this. Remember, when, when, when Peter writes this, Nero is in full swing as head of Rome, and they are full-blown eating Christians alive by lions. So this is what he writes in first, or 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They're saying, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? Of course, we don't ever say that now, right? This is just years after, and they're being mocked. They're asking each other. From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. 
They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the, uh, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. What? For our sake? He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. He's writing even non-believers here. The reason he hasn't come yet, those of you who are mocking, is because he's still holding out hope that you'll respond to the gospel invitation. Verse 10, I know what some of you are thinking. I thought you believed in election. You mind your own business. I don't in this text. That's why he's patient. All whosoever will may come. Now I've thrown some of you into a theological tizzy. That's okay. We've been fighting this for 500 years. It'll be just fine. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. By the way, is he on a cult that day? What's he writing? A white horse. The second advent, not the baby in a manger one. The second advent, he enters on a white horse. Now, you know why? Because this isn't, this isn't the humble baby Jesus. He's already redeemed mankind. This is the, the day of reckoning is at hand. <clears throat> Verse 13. But we are looking forward to a, the new heavens <clears throat> and a new earth as he promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort be found to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Only three of you are looking at the screen behind me. You thought I lost my place. I want you to read it. And remember, the Lord's patient gives people time to be saved. Your cousin, your nephew, your neighbor, I want my problem solved. I know, honey. I know, but not yet. It has been solved. It's been solved on the cross. It's been solved when you identified me as Lord. It's been solved. Yeah, but I want my help. I'll give it to you. You've got your help. Okay, you've got your help. Just not yet. Do you see it? Actually, and I, I want to jump to the point here. The point I was trying to make with these two weeks is, yeah, the Jews were really excited for their deliverer to come as long as he delivered them from what they wanted to be delivered from. And somewhere around only 120 after doing three and a half years of ministry and being followed by thousands, I remind you, when he fed the 5,000, that was the men being counted. There were women and children there. It is reasonable to believe that 20,000 people were following Jesus around that time or more, and he fed them, and he ministered to them, and he healed their diseases. But at the end of the day, there's 120 in the upper room. I am sure that there might have been people who didn't join them that day. But please understand, the ascension was a big deal. The re resurrection had only happened 40 days before. If I'm them, and it's Pentecost, okay, which means they're all good Jews, they're all in Jerusalem, if, if you're a follower of this Rabbi Jesus, the Messiah, you're in the upper room. It is reasonable to believe that out of thousands, there's 120 left. Because the rest were disappointed by him. 
And so it is with us. As we long for what we long for, a good government, a, a country that's safe, the right to bear arms. You can laugh. You're Texans. You can laugh at yourself a little bit. We like guns here, right? A lot. Amen. I got an amen on that. That's the first amen I've had in about six weeks, and it was about guns. You are a funny lot. <laughs> the, truth, the truth is we like what we like, and we're comfortable. It's just that in this world, we're going to have trouble, and if we're going to share in his glory, we're going to share in his sufferings, and you have redemption. You have peace and wealth, and you have a new name, and you have a new family. Just not yet. And the question for us is, will we be like the disciples standing still looking up into heaven going, okay, I know you're Lord, but I'm, I'm not leaving this place until you give me what I want? Or will we be like the disciples inhabited by the Holy Spirit who are willing to give everything up for the purpose of the king because they knew confidently and patiently that the time right now was to reach the lost and then go home. And by the way, that's the only reason you're here, my family. It's the only reason you're here. It's, it's, not, it's not to make America great. It's, it's, it's fine. I'm political just like you are, and I'm conservative, but that's really not our purpose here. Our purpose is to tell anyone and everyone who wants to hear that there is a Redeemer who sent God's own Son, who offers them the gift of eternal life through a relationship with Him. When was the last time you engaged your task? It's, it's difficult, I get it, because there's so many distractions. Christmas, the busyness of the season. I love that baby, by the way. You let her cry. That's Olivia. She's six days old. Don't touch that baby. Listen, you've got everything you pray for. I promise. Scripture promises. I was going to read the end of Revelation, but it's three chapters, and I'd read it, read it too fast. Somebody else just amen. That is so rude. <laughs> but I do love you. You're funny. I, I mean, what a great service. I got him rebuking me while I preach. I've got a bet before I get up here. It's been a good day. Gosh, you guys, we have all blessings already just in the heavenly realms and not yet. And it is so good to read the prophecies fulfilled in Jesus during this season. I love doing that. But I got to tell you something. If all we do is look back and see what they should have seen, we're missing what we should be looking at right now too. Because our hope is in the return of Jesus Christ. Seriously. No more tears. No more sorrow. Jesus gets up on the throne later in chapter 19 and 20. And he says, my place is with my people. And anybody who asks for water, I will give them everlasting water. That's coming. You own it. You can't lose it. Put your confidence in him. Let's play the video. i 
couple weeks, let your eyes lift to the horizon and look at him on a colt as he rides into Jerusalem. And then let your eyes lift into the horizon when he comes back on a white horse. Because that is our deliverance. Lord Jesus, we ask you to help us look beyond the horizon. Help us to wait patiently and live confidently in your promise. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, may we be faithful to our task. May we put our hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Merry Christmas, you guys. Hey, could you pray for Julie and I? We're heading up to Ohio this, this afternoon. I'm uh, doing a wedding for my niece. And uh, one got married in May. They're twins. And she got upset, so she got engaged the day after. <laughs> And uh, so we'll be heading up there this week. We'd appreciate your prayer because it snows up there and they're, they're Yankees, don't. So anyway, we'd appreciate your prayer. There's no Wednesday night service. Next Sunday morning is our next activity. Daryl, are you having Bible study this Tuesday morning for guys? Yes, you are. That's Tuesday morning. Uh, otherwise, see you next Sunday. Merry Christmas, you guys. Have a good week. <laughs>